0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of the Arcade Repair Tips Interviews podcast. This is a little bit different podcast in that uh, basically every episode is going to be an interview with somebody in the arcade community. It may be a YouTuber. It may be somebody who provides arcade repair services. It may be a route operator. It could be anybody. But uh, for this first inaugural episode, we are happy and excited to have Paul Jure with us. And we'll tell you a little bit about him real quick. Uh, he is a monitor repair technician. So uh, many of you who are listening may have sent your monitors to Paul. You may not have even physically talked to Paul or talked to him on the phone, but you probably sent your monitor to him for repair. He is the proprietor of paulsmonitors.com, which talks about his experience and the surf- services that he offers. And he also has a YouTube channel where he uploads videos explaining these repairs that he does for individuals. So I do want to start off by saying thank you, Paul, for taking the time to join us today.
1: Uh, Thank you for having me on, Jonathan. I appreciate it
0: of course and of course paul and all the excitement i forgot to introduce myself of course i'm jonathan leung and i'm one of the guys responsible for arcade repair tips we do have a team of people who we rely on to do different aspects of of arcade repair tips but i'm just one of the guys of course a lot of people know tim as well but i'll be conducting these interviews with our guests and as i mentioned paul will be the first one so paul let's just start off real simple here and just Ask you what drew you to arcade games initially? Was there a, a moment that you remember in your life, maybe the first time you saw an arcade game, and how it captured you?
1: I remember when I was probably about five or six years old. I was walking uh, through the mall with my grandmother, and we passed by an arcade, and I had no idea what it was. And I was like, "Wow, what's going in there? Look at all those noises and lights!" And as soon as I Started walking towards the arcade. My grandmother pulled me by the arms like, no, we're leaving. So she knew then that uh, it was going to be a was going to be a thing. And then eventually when I got uh, to play my first arcade game, I was like, wow, these are awesome. And I remember playing my first uh, game was uh, Pac-Man when I was six years old. And the first challenge I ever had was trying to clear that first board
0: man you know, and Pac-Man, of course, I think is a favorite of of many of ours. And obviously, Pac-Man, how how many uh, times did you put in money to clear that first board? How long did did it take you? Do you remember?
1: I don't know. I I remember I was like seven when I finally cleared the first board. And it was what, you know, a seven-year-old doesn't have that much money. Whenever I could (laughs) scrounge a quarter here and a quarter there or go to the grocery store, my my mom and uh, uh, try and swindle some quarters off of her. Because back then, uh, you know, all the grocery stores had arcade games in them. Uh, so whenever we went to the grocery store, there was an arcade there, game there for uh, for me to play. So I'd always be begging you know. for money.
0: I was going to say, you know, I think that's a lot of. Uh, I think a lot of people in our audience may not realize that, especially some of the younger people. Paul, is that there was a time when arcade games were in grocery stores and gas stations and basically anywhere you went, and if you just had a cord in your pocket, you could play.
1: Yeah, wherever they could uh, fit an arcade game, they put it.
0: Absolutely. Uh, do you have any other memories of the arcade growing up besides trying to clear that first Pac-Man?
1: Um. Well, as I was. Uh... Uh, getting a little older i i discovered a uh, spy hunter and that turned out to be one of my favorite games and um i got pretty good at it uh, for a 10 year old and actually that's in one of my that is one of my uh games in my collection now i got a sit down spy hunter and um i can make a million points on it now which takes wow. about an hour and a half to do on one one quarter so uh it's a pretty good accomplishment
0: absolutely that is is very impressive i love to play spy hunter and i'll be the first to admit that i am terrible at it so to hear that somebody could uh, get a million points that's pretty impressive to me so you mentioned collecting so how did you get into collecting Uh, what was the maybe the first game that you had and how did you obtain
1: uh i was living in philadelphia with my wife uh in the early 2000s i think it was 2000 maybe 2001 and we had some we had this spare room and I was like, well, why don't we put an arcade game in there? Why don't we see what's uh, what's out there? So I went on eBay and I found a Donkey Kong I was bidding on. And I remember uh, the le- I told my wife bid on this because um, I was at work when the, the auction was ending and she missed it. But uh, we also had a bid on for a Pac-Man and we, we won the Pac-Man. So uh, we uh, got the Pac-Man for like 500 it was completely working. Uh, Cab was a little beat up, but uh, I was really stoked to get it. And uh, when we went to the guy's house to pick it up, his garage was packed with arcade games. And my thought was, wow, you could do this? You could. Some people collect all these arcade games? And that's what kind of started me on the the road to collecting arcade games.
0: I think it's pretty cool that you kind of came full circle from uh, the first game that you played being Pac-Man to the first game that you actually bought being Pac-Man. Uh, and i tell you what, $500 for a working Pac-Man seems like a really good deal.
1: Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, it is.
0: Yeah. And people, and I know prices have inflated quite a bit over about the last 10 years, it seems like, but, um, there was a time when you could get fully working games for 300, 500, even classics. And it seems like uh, now that's a little bit more difficult. to do.
1: Uh, yep. The price of donkey Kongs right now are insane. They range from 800 to a thousand dollars all day, no matter what kind of condition they're in.
0: Absolutely. So I do have to ask, did you get a donkey Kong eventually? Or That's
1: a funny story. When me and my wife moved down here, um, I found a guy. I, I always uh, uh, looked over Craigslist for arcade games. And this guy had a bunch of uh, a warehouse he was uh, trying to liquidate. This was about seven or eight years ago. And he had a whole row of Donkey Kongs and a Popeye. And he was letting them all go for a hundred bucks each. I was like, holy man. And I only bought one because I I figured, why would I need more? If if I knew then, I would have bought them all uh, right there. But uh, I bought one Donkey Kong. I bought the nicest he, one he had. I came, brought it back, and uh, it's still in my collection now. So is my original Pac-Man. That's still in my collection after 20 years.
0: Now, that's amazing. And, I'm man, $100 Donkey Kong. Golly, you should have bought them all. But, you know, it, it's so hard to have hindsight like that, right?
1: Yeah. Who, who would have thought they would have uh, gone up in price uh, uh, like they have?
0: absolutely so well go ahead and walk us around your your collection a little bit tell us some of the things that you have and if you've got some great stories to go along with some of your cabinets that we'd like to know those as well
1: well i had to pac-man was my original one when i moved down here i found a super pac-man in a thrift shop and i really didn't know nothing about fixing them at the time so i asked the lady to turn it on she she turned it on the monitor popped on i was like okay and I think that one was a hundred dollars as well. so I bought it for a 100 bucks I brought it home and that's the first game which is still in my collection that I learned how to fix and work on and I uh, put a new uh, power supply in it and it fired right up. And I was like wow, that wasn't easy that was uh, that wasn't too hard. Um, and uh, from there I started buying broken games. You know, I buy broken games for 50 or 75 bucks and fix them. I'd learn a little more at, after each game I bought because each game usually had a different problem. And I learned, oh, I, this, this is broken. This has bad 5 volts. Um, monitor is bad. And that's how I got into uh, fixing monitors. 90% of the games, the monitors were jacked. So uh, I had to learn how to fix them. And once you uh, start... Re- rolling the games in and fixing them, it gets you get pretty, uh, accustomed and know how, uh, stuff works and how stuff should work. Um, so that's basically how I started collecting and how I am, where I am right now.
0: Gotcha. So, um, I'm going to go back to it just real quick. Uh, what else do you have in your collection?
1: Um, like I said, I had a spy hunter sit down. I got a donkey Kong, donkey Kong jr. Oh, let's see. I'm actually in my, uh, Game room. I got a uh, Zaxxon, a Rampage, dedicated Rampage, a Defender. I got a Miss Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man Cabaret. I got a baby Pac-Man. Uh, let's see, what else? I got a dedicated Junior Pac-Man I'm restoring. I got a Missile Command. Um, I got a Time Pilot. And I got a Multicade right now.
0: That's a great collection. Sounds like some really great games in there. Uh, is there, you know, obviously you've talked a little bit about Donkey Kong and Super Pac Man and Pac Man. Are there any of the other and Spy Hunter? Are there any of the others that hold any sentimental value to you?
1: Um, those are the ones I remember fondly the most. All the others were just games I played as a kid that I've always wanted in my collection. There's still a few I'm looking for. Like, I have my Defender. I like to get a Stargate to put next to it, but for some reason I just haven't found a nice Stargate uh, that was in a good price that uh, actually was worth the money that people were asking. So uh, I'm still in a search for a Stargate.
0: Yeah, you know, a lot of that just comes with patience, right? Oh, sure. Hopefully, it uh, will come up for sale in in your uh, in your area soon, and you'll be able to to get it for a good price. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to the super Pac man. So that basically sounds like the beginning of your arcade repair journey. So uh, at first, like when you started first trying to repair arcade games, how did you do it? What were your steps? How did you go about it? And how did you go about learning what you, uh, you know, what you've learned?
1: You know, that's funny because my first tool I had was uh, one of those voltage, 12 uh, volt voltage lights that if you tap uh, your, the, the needle on the voltage it would light up that was the only uh, tool I started with I had known nothing about electronics I knew nothing about voltages I just knew you plug the game in and turn it on and it worked or it didn't so I just started scouring the internet and uh, looking for information seeing how stuffs works uh, getting a getting a multimeter learning about how you ground and uh, test here for five volts test here for 12 volts and just from doing that, I learned a little bit, and then I just progressed to learn a little bit more. Then I learned about oh, monitors. Bad first thing you do is a cap kit and maybe uh, a hot. Um, and that, that's pretty much it. You just just start from the beginning and just learn a little bit at a time. And I've been I'm actually still learning uh, today. Sometimes I'll I'll get a chassis in and I'll scratch my head and be like, hmm, why is this doing this and why is it not working? And you just have to uh, uh, push through it and uh, and figure it out.
0: Absolutely, I think we can all agree that it's a continual process of of learning when it comes to arcade repair. There's so many different games, and they're all built differently depending on manufacturer and different models of monitors and things like that. But I think, Paul, your story gives hope to a lot of guys who may just now be starting out in the arcade repair that you can start from basically the floor of knowing nothing and then get to a point where you can repair monitors.
1: Oh, that is 100% correct. Um, When I first started doing this, if I could go back in time and say to myself, you're going to be fixing monitors um, full-time at your full-time job, I've been like, no way. I have no idea how this stuff works. I'll never learn this stuff. But I did just a little bit at a time. Every day I learned a little something else, a little something uh, new.
0: So you mentioned that Arcade Monitor Repair is now your full-time job. Uh, What were you doing before you got into the monitor repair business?
1: Um, I had my CDL Class A, and I had various jobs when I lived up north. Uh, I ran uh, regional uh, loads up. uh, I I was based in Philadelphia, and I went all the way up to upstate New York, Massachusetts, down in North Carolina. Um, i just be – Philadelphia was right in the middle, so I'd just be going up. One one day, spend the night, come back. Then I go down south and come back. And just back and forth, uh, all hauling loads uh, uh, for my company. And then when I came down here, I still had my CDL. And uh, I got a local job. And I did that for about five years, uh, hauling uh, uh, compressed gas. And uh, after I uh, quit that job, I decided to uh, uh start uh, trying to do this full time, because it was something I was interested in. And uh, you know what they say, uh, if you're your own boss, uh, uh, you're going to be you're going to be a lot happier.
0: I, I absolutely agree with that. And I think I find it interesting that uh, you had your CDL because it seems like obviously we you would almost be a pro at moving games. you would think uh, with something like that. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't I don't know if you've actually hauled any game loads in your in an 18-wheeler or not, but uh, that sounds like a really fun job. if so. Uh,
1: no, no, I have never hauled uh, games in an 18-wheeler, but I have seen plenty down here filled with uh, games in 18-wheelers just waiting for people to buy.
0: Well, I think it's awesome that you transitioned from that into monitor repair. So you are now a full-time monitor repair technician. Tell us what goes on with that and uh, just how the business kind of goes as far as people sending in their stuff and you trying to troubleshoot it and all that kind of stuff.
1: Well, basically, um, uh, most of my business is now word of mouth because I've uh, gotten uh, my name out there. And uh, basically I uh, look at face, I have a lot of uh, followers on Facebook, on YouTube, on my website And basically, uh, when you have a broken monitor, you got to, the customer has to discharge the monitor correctly and know correctly how to pull the monitor, the chassis out, box it up well and send it to me. Then when I get the the chassis, I'll unbox it, uh, inspect it, make sure it was okay in shipping. Um, One of the most uh, hardest parts of the job is getting the chassis to me. Um, because a lot of people uh, think the chassis kind of not going to break. I have had so many chassis break because of just uh, bad packaging, uh, used boxes, crushed boxes. So it's always good to have a, uh, a new box and plenty of bubble wrap, plenty of peanuts, just to protect your investment. But once I get the chassis, uh, I got several testing rigs uh, in my garage. I got 25-inch testing rigs and 19-inch testing rigs for all the monitors I work on. And basically, I'll just put the chassis on one of my testing rigs. I got a TPA. Uh, what is it, A, a TPC test. Uh, yeah, attention. test. Yep, I got one of those. Um, actually, I got a couple of those, one for Nintendo, one for the regular games. And I'll just I'll put the chassis on a testing rig fire it up and see exactly what it's doing so believe it or not sometimes uh it'll be perfectly fine and the customer sentiment to me um it might be cabinet related so i usually contact the customer and say hey it's working fine here usually they just tell me to just to rebuild it anyway just so they have a fresh chassis but uh first thing i do if uh there's a problem uh i always check the b plus first i'll fire it up if it's dead Uh, You always go to the B plus first. I always go to the B plus first and just see uh, what it's doing. You know, if it's at zero, I'll go one direction. If it's uh, really high, I'll go another direction and um, uh, I'll go from there. Over the years, I've acquired quite a lot of parts, thousands of capacitors, uh, resistors, uh, flybacks. So... My turnaround time is I, I try and get my turnaround time about a week or two, usually two weeks at the latest. I usually try and stay on top of everything. I, uh, once I fix, get the monitor working, I'll uh, test it for like uh, 24 hours, you know, cycling it on and off or uh, testing the circuit that the customer was having a problem with just to make sure it was uh, it's working properly. And then I'll just uh, box it up and uh, send it back to its customer.
0: I find it interesting, the comment that you made about people not packaging their chassis. I I mean, I understand that these things are old and they've been around a long time and people think they'll just withstand anything, but uh, I've always wrapped mine in bubble wrap, I guess. I, I know how shipping can be sometimes. We have had things get damaged beyond belief. I think is a good way to say it as far as, uh, you know, <laughs> as far as packaging and stuff is concerned. So I think uh, if you are listening there and you want to send your chassis to Paul, that's a very important note that you need to make sure that you pack it. Well, lots of bubble wrap in there so that it gets to him and it's in. Yes.
1: Every people. time I get uh, contacted by a customer now and he wants to send me a chassis, I email him or text him a specific, uh, way to pack his chassis and, uh, how big of a box to use. Um, one of the ways they get damaged the most is people want to send me multiple chassis, but they'll stack them on top of each other. And then they just get crushed or broken in half. Uh, Geo7s and uh, the Sanyo EZs are very fragile chassis. And I've had so many come uh, just because of bad packaging broke, especially the Sanyos. They literally, I'll open the box and they'll be broken in half. So I got a special box I use uh, for returning them, um, the Geo7s and the Sanyos, just to ensure that they're going to re- return to their customers safely.
0: That's a good thing. And uh, just a quick question. When, when customers contact you, I mean, I assume that most of the time they know that they are going to have to remove their chassis from the monitor. But, um do you ever get guys who are very reluctant to, to do that? Uh,
1: yep. I'm. I always tell them I'm happy to talk you through it. Uh, I usually uh, say, "Here's my phone number. Give me a call, and I'll talk you through it when you're ready," or uh, I I could text them the instructions. Uh, either way, and then I usually assure them I've I've discharged thousands and thousands of chassis and monitors. It's not really that big of a deal if you just use the proper safety.
0: Yeah. And it seems like one of those things though, especially for beginners that is very intimidating to them is having to discharge that chassis. I've stuck a screwdriver up under there with the monitor on, which probably wasn't the smartest thing. I mm-hmm. did not know what was on at the time. And I'm still here to tell yep. the tale. So I can tell you for, from experience, uh, you don't yep. want to do that. All but, that voltage uh, went right to ground. It didn't hurt you. Well. Yeah. Exactly. As long as you're, as long as you, you're grounded well, then you should be okay. Yep. But uh, You know, it's definitely not something uh, that you can't overcome if you're listening and you're new to this and you want to send your monitor to Paul. Uh, You can definitely discharge. It's very easy. Um, And, you know, something else, Paul, I'm sure. uh, Do you ever have questions about people once you send the chassis back who may have forgotten where everything plugs in?
1: Um, Most people are good at that. They'll use a Sharpie and they'll uh, they'll just mark everything they uh, uh, unplugged. Occasionally, somebody will be like, where does this go like the tag wire where where, where was it supposed to go and you know that's not a big deal let's just find the neckboard plug and plug it in um, but most people are pretty good uh they take notes or they uh, take they take pictures which is a great idea every uh, plug you unplug you take a picture and uh, then you'll know you'll uh, definitely know where it came from
0: absolutely So let's break down a little bit of what you're seeing in your shop. What do you think the most common chassis that you get into your shop is?
1: Um, I get a lot of K7000s. Uh, They come in quite often. Um, They're pretty common chassis, and uh, they're pretty easy to work on. Uh, That's the most common one I get. The second most common one is probably the G07. Uh, Both are pretty straightforward chassis. Great chassis. Uh, and then probably third is the 4,900.
0: Yeah, and those three are the most common ones I think we see just out and about. If you're looking in the back of an arcade game from about the mid-90s on back to like the early 80s, you're probably, it's, there's a good chance it could happen. Yep,
1: absolutely, those games,
0: right? yep. So, yeah, that, that, like I said, so I guess that doesn't surprise me in that way. Uh, what are some of the most common failures that you see on the monitor chassis? Um,
1: Like with the K7000, caps usually like to go bad quite a bit. Um, That'll cause high voltage shutdown, uh, darkness in the screen. Um, Flybacks like to blow up on the K7000. Or what they like to do is uh, get hairline cracks in the face of the flyback, which cause uh, uh, brightness issues and focus issues. The G07s... uh, you cap them, then you can run them for an hour, and the the original flyback could blow up. So I pretty much make sure I replace the flyback on every G07 now, because when I send a chassis back, I don't want to I don't want the customer to have it blow up on them an hour or a week later. I just like I do my best to bulletproof them to make sure the customer has a a good chassis for a really long time.
0: have there any have there been any parts recently that have been hard for you to get a hold of
1: oh yeah big time um i've been battling with a vertical ic for like the 7400s and 7500s i've been battling uh with those for about two years now they're pretty much hard to come by and everybody who has them have their counterfeits or fakes um the pins don't even uh, ground the, the ground pins on them don't even line up to where they're supposed to so uh, it's it's horrible. I bought literally probably 300 of them uh, in the past couple of years and they've all been fake so I just returned them all. It's sometimes I find a reputable seller and uh, I get some good ones. If I find somebody who's selling me a good one, I'll usually try and buy buy a lot of them so I have them. Uh, another part is the Sanyo, uh, the Sanyo EZ. That chip, uh, that the main chip on there is an LA 1464, which is a dinosaur. It is impossible to find now. Uh, there's a couple sellers on eBay who has them, and they're going for fifty bucks apiece. So uh, if your chip goes bad on your Sanyo EZ, the, the, you got to expect at least fifty dollars for that chip right now.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. And I think those are some of the same ones that we've, we've had trouble with mm-hmm. ourselves. Now, just talking about, you mentioned the $50 chip on the Sanyo monitors, but uh, what do your repairs typically run uh, shipping and everything? If somebody wanted to send your chassis their chassis. Into you.
1: Uh, my repairs typically run uh, depending on the chassis. Uh, my rates are usually $65 labor or $75 labor plus parts plus actual return shipping. So if you're from someplace like New York, the shipping's gonna be $20. Uh, the parts are uh, pretty straightforward. Uh, cap cap kits like 15 bucks. Uh, flybacks are about 35 bucks. Uh, and then everything else is uh, pretty cheap. Uh, resistors and diodes are uh, dirt cheap. Um, with coils are about 15 or 20 bucks. But uh, when all said and done, my typical, the average repair shipped back to the customer is between 100 and 130 bucks.
0: Uh, to me, I feel like that's a very reasonable price. I know there's people who charge more. Uh, there's people who charge around the same amount as you do. But I, I feel like for what you put into them, I feel like that's a fair price for you and a fair price. Oh, I
1: always you. try and be fair. I always try and be fair with everybody.
0: And you know it's always it's always important because you want repeat business as well. We know that, and I'm sure at this point you've had quite a bit of that. Uh, yep,
1: most of my business is now is uh, word of mouth uh, from previous customers uh, on Facebook. Uh, somebody else a questioner asks who uh, who repairs his, who can repair this chassis for me, and a whole bunch of people will chime in saying, uh, "Send it to Paul." Send it to Paul. And uh, so I really do appreciate that. That that actually humbles me. And, you know, it gives me that good feeling uh, of like uh, I'm doing a good job and I I definitely appreciate that.
0: Now, we mentioned earlier about the YouTube videos that you film for each customer. To me, that kind of puts a personalized, uh, you know, personalized message kind of to each one. I understand that that also helps you, like you were mentioning, uh, when you ship it off, you can say it was working when it left but I like the personal touch that it adds. Do customers feel like that uh, adds some value? Uh, They do.
1: I actually got a couple followers who follow all my videos and uh, enjoy watching them and uh, try and pick up some tips uh, when I make the videos. But, uh, you know, they're basically just to show the customer it's working. Uh, It's on my rig. It's been uh, running for X amount of hours. I fixed their issue and it looks great. And they appreciate... uh, 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 watching it too, uh, knowing that their chassis is uh, working and the work has been done.
0: Absolutely. And we've also featured some of your just general repair videos uh, on our live show and some of our content. And well. I appreciate and, that. And uh, some of those are very good as well. No, it's, it's not a problem. We always want to support people who are out there uh, helping other people with their games for sure. So uh, we, we appreciate you putting the content out there. But, uh, Paul, what about just how many chassis do you feel like you get in about a week? Does it vary or is it pretty consistent? Uh,
1: it goes up and down, it, you know, it's just like anything. Uh, you have to have something broken to fix it. Um, typically, I'll probably go 10 or 15 chassis a week, I would say. Uh, that that would be my average. Some, some weeks less, some weeks more. It all depends on uh, just uh, what people need fixed at that particular moment.
0: Yeah. And another question, I know your primary focus is arcade monitors, but uh, it seems like CRTs as a whole are getting harder and harder to come by. And I know a lot of people who are in just CRT TV groups, they're looking for people to do repairs. Do you repair CRT television um, as well?
1: Not right now. Not at this point. I'm a little uh, uh, busy with what I got going on right now. Um, what I do uh, like to do uh, is collect the TVs. Uh, we could talk about that uh uh, and do tube swaps uh, to, the, to an original chassis. Like a, You could swap a 19-inch tube from a TV onto an arcade uh, frame, modify it a little bit, and you basically got a brand-new-looking monitor. After you rebuild the chassis and put that tube on, it looks awesome
0: so when you're searching for these monitors are there, any, are there any particular models that you're looking for of tv in order to do tube swaps or is it just are you going by um, any kind of list or anything or is it just kind of like it's if it's 19 i think I can get well it.
1: believe it or not the first uh, one i did was quite a few years ago it, it's still in my defender it was a daewoo tv and when i first picked it up to try it i was like man daewoo that they're probably gonna be junk and i picked it up and the, the I uh, hooked up a K7000 to it and I was like, wow, what a great picture. I can't believe it. So I uh, put it all together and I put it in my defender and it looks awesome. So from there I just uh, started going to yard sales, thrift shops. And I just started picking up TVs and experimenting from there. If I found them on the side of the road, I'd pick them up. I'd see what the uh, kind of, if the yokes were compatible, if not, I would uh, swap a arcade yoke on it and uh, I'd just go from there. But it, it was all just like everything it was a learning experience. I got like a uh, all the sp- great models in my head. That like if I see a, a spe- specific TV right now, I'll be like, "Wow, I got to get that one. That will make a great arcade monitor."
0: So obviously, I know I'm talking to somebody who repairs CRT monitors. But how do you feel about LCD? Um,
1: I think they look great in some, a lot of the driving games, like the 90s driving games. I personally would never put one in uh, a, one of my classic arcades, arcade games. I don't think they look right. and uh, But we really don't have much of a choice as uh, time progresses. As these uh, tubes start dying, the actual tubes, there's not, not too much you could do. And there's not a, really a lot of people out there who do tube swaps I think it would be just—it's—it's it's easier for them just to LCD it. So uh, I guess it's all personal choice. My, m- me personally, I would never put an LCD in any of my games.
0: I understand, and a lot of people feel like that. I try to keep mine as original as possible, but I kind of feel like you that we're all going to have to bite the bullet at some point, and we may have to start doing LCDs. I'm hoping that's later. Right? The yes, summer. absolutely. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. Uh, you mentioned you had a multi-cade. Uh, how do you feel about multi-cade boards as a whole, and which one do you have? Which board do you have in your?
1: Multi-K'd? I got the Pandora's box uh, nine 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 and one. Um, I bought it because I my uh, Street Fighter two uh, board took a took a crap, so I didn't have uh, time to get it, get it looked at. So I just uh, bought a quick board to put in there, and it's not a bad board. Um, if you look, if you, if you know the games you're playing, some of the graphics are off, some of the background might be off on some of the games. Some of the sounds might be off, but mostly a lot, it has all the street fighters and all the, I like playing street fighters, street fighter, and most of them work pretty good. And it's got a lot of, uh, games from Japan that, uh, not weren't never even released from, uh, to the United States. So you get to play a whole bunch of different games that you actually never even heard of.
0: Yeah, and that is one of the nice things about the multi-cade boards is they usually have a nice variety. Of course, yours sounds like it has about a 1,000 games on it. So, I mean, you're getting a mm-hmm. nice variety of games. And like you mentioned, for the 90s fighters, I think a lot of those multi-cade boards work pretty well. Obviously, there's, there may be some yep. drop frames, things like that. Emulation is not perfect for sure. But, you know, for what you're getting, for what you're paying for. Yeah, I mean, they're, like, pretty,
1: they're, they're pretty, they're cheap. cheap. They're about 50 so. to 100 bucks depending on which one you get.
0: Absolutely. So, I mean, for that yeah. price, it's really hard to go wrong. Well, Paul, uh, I do want to remind everybody of your website, paulsmonitors.com. And what's the best way that people can get a hold of you if they want to take advantage
1: uh, of you? Could go to, you could uh, email me at paulgeray at Um It's on my website, and I will usually answer you uh, in a day. I check my email every day a few times. So you'll get an answer from me within 24 hours.
0: So, for those, uh, if you guys need help spelling Paul's last name, that's J U R A Y, yes. correct? So, there you go, paulgeray at gmail.com, or you can go to paulsmonders.com, which you have a little bit of information about you there, but it sounds like the email address. Uh, yeah,
1: my website is uh, my uh, email is also on the website, too.
0: Okay, sounds good. Uh, Paul, is there anything else that you'd like to chime in with here while we're just kind of wrapping up the interview? Uh, anything else you'd like to talk about
1: arcade-related? Um, I kind of missed the all, all the events. You know, we have a, an event down here in Florida called Free Play Florida. Uh, we, I missed it this year because of COVID. Uh, I'm hoping we'll get it uh, back next year. It's been uh, – this COVID has uh, pretty much put a damper on a whole bunch of stuff. Um I went into a, uh, what was it? About three months ago, I went into a, a arcade, and unfortunately, the place there wasn't a lot of people in there because of the COVID, and it was it was sad because they had a, they have a lot of great arcade games in there and pinball machines, uh, but the the COVID has really put a damper on just about everything.
0: You are correct, and it's funny that you should mention that. I was actually going through the resources page on our website, where we have a listing of all the different events that go on throughout the year and the different places that they're held. And I was just going through it and just seeing this Mm -hmm. one was postponed, this one was postponed, this one was canceled, postponed. And it's just, it it really is a a downer to see all of that. Of course, you know, if you listen to us, you guys know that we always try to go to the Texas Pinball Festival. Yeah, yeah. To the Houston. Uh, Arcade Expo. And uh, unfortunately, you know, I mean, Te- Texas Female Festival, this is the second year that they had to, to cancel. It looks like they'll be back next year. Uh, we're hoping and praying that uh, the Houston show will still be able to go on. It's going to be uh, later in the year in the fall. But uh, I-, I agree, Paul. It's a real downer with COVID and everything about the events and a real downer about the barcades yeah, I'm... the arcades right now. Uh, just I
1: know, I know people suffering. here in Florida, the barcades are really suffering especially with the the lockdowns and stuff people are uh, all these guys are, they just are trying to run their businesses and it's almost impossible to, uh for them to run their businesses the way they should be running them and
0: yeah and here's the thing I mean, you're in florida florida's pretty mm-hmm. open at this point uh, a lot more open than uh, some of the other states that you mentioned you've, you've you've lived in earlier like pennsylvania new york it seems like they're much more closed off so you can imagine if arcades are struggling in Florida, what they're doing in other places where lockdowns are being are being. Uh,
1: are being uh, yeah, uh, Pennsylvania, and New York, uh, that area has been hit pretty hard. So uh, I, I feel for those guys. It, 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 it's it's a it's a bad time. It's a bad time.
0: Absolutely. Well, I tell you, this interview was not a bad time, Paul. I enjoyed having you on the show and talking with you and getting to learn a little bit more about you. And uh, guys, as we continue to do these interviews, we'll just take uh, a guest every time, just kind of get to know a little bit about them. Because I really feel like, uh, just like with Paul here, there's a lot more to somebody just than they repair arcade monitors, right? There's there's different things. There's how you got into collecting. And I found all that very fascinating, Paul. Um, so Thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate it. for you for this interview. Of course. And guys, you just want to you know, hopefully you'll come back for the next one. We're going to try to release these, uh, you know, around the middle of the month. Uh, as most of you guys know, we do the live shows at the beginning of the month. So uh, the interviews podcast will try to be in the middle of the month. And so hopefully this one will go out in the middle of February and uh, we'll see who we can get for March right now. But uh, we want to thank Paul again. Again, if you guys want to get a hold of him, that's Paul Jure at gmail.com or go to his website, Paul's and send the chassis his way, and he'll make sure that he fixes it up for you. And uh, we just want to thank you for the services that you pr- provide, Paul. It's always uh, great to have more people doing thank- those types of repairs. So thanks Thank again you, Jonathan. For the and we'll look forward to see- seeing and talking with all of you guys soon. So take care out there, and uh, remember, when you fix the game, you play the game. Bye.